You're listening to. Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it's the end of the month, so we're here to discuss our May book club pick, The Leavers by Lisa Ko. Um, and to help us discuss this book, well, we're bringing back uh, book club member Lily Rugo. Hey, Lily, how's it going? Hello. All right. <laughs> Lily is coming Happy at A-Pam. us. Um, oh, that's right. Happy APAM. Happy APAM. It shouldn't be APAM by the time this podcast releases podcast releases uh, uh, it's asian american heritage month every month in this book club <laughs> uh thank you lily uh lily's coming at us all the way from boston where she just graduated from emerson university congratulations, congratulations. college but yes yeah, thank you college my bad um and yeah so she's looking for a job so if anyone's looking to hire a <laughs> talented writer slash aspiring podcaster uh as her former editor, I can vouch for her writing yeah. skills. <laughs> oh um, my god, you guys were both my bosses at some point. I know, isn't that <laughs> circle, anyway. circle of life? Yeah. You know? um, but we asked Lily to come um, discuss this book, not only because she's read before, but also because um, she has a very personal connection to the um, themes of the book. So we're, we're happy to have Lily on board with us as we discuss the levers. Um, Standard spoiler warning, uh, we will be discussing key plot points within the book, and it is a really good book. So if you plan on reading The Leavers, um, now's the time to pause and read the book and come back and join us when you're done. All right. So shall we start with the book jacket description? Yeah. Domingo Guo's mother, Polly, an undocumented Chinese immigrant, goes to her job at a nail salon and never comes home. No one can find any trace of her. With his mother gone, 11-year-old Deming is left mystified and bereft, eventually adopted by a pair of well-meaning white professors. Deming is moved from the Bronx to a small town upstate and renamed Daniel Wilkinson. But far from all he's ever known, Daniel struggles to reconcile his adoptive parents' desire that he assimilate with his memories of his mother and the community he left behind. All right, so I read this book about a year ago, and I just kind of skim through parts of it for the second read for Mm -hmm. this discussion so um i know lily read it uh i don't know yeah a few months ago a few months ago earlier in the year so pretty recent compared to uh my reading experience and i know marvin finished it like last week Uh i read it over the month okay so uh, this this past week so marvin i remember you saying that the book was a lot lighter than you thought it would be so the story itself is was different than what I expected. And, you know, that's my fault for assuming what the book was going to be. Because the way it was set up, it sounded like it was going to be more of like about the struggle of these two people trying to reunite. And while that is a key part of the story, it isn't the central conflict. Right? Yeah. The- yeah. This book really subverts a lot of uh, known themes mm-hmm. in the immigrant story. And also like... Uh, we're probably going to talk about this later. Like it really flips on the model minority uh, story as well, because neither Polly or um, or Daniel are seen as model minorities. And it's not even about mm-hmm. them finding success as model minorities in America. 
like some of the characters do find success, but it's not because of the American system. It's because of their own will to survive. Their own grit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about uh, you, Lily? I know it's been a couple of months, but uh, do you remember your first impression of the book or how it uh, kind of messed with your expectations, <laughs> should I say? <laughs> I mean, I remember I really liked it. Um, I read it uh, at, at the end of like two other like heavier books. I uh, It was after Little Fires Everywhere and then T-Girl on Hummingbird Lane. So this was like the third of just like kind of heavy books, um, but it was good. And I thought it would be more about the adoption. I was surprised by how much we learned about Holly and her life. Yeah. The story is told through two perspectives, dual perspectives. Um, you get, I think two thirds of it is through Deming or Daniel's perspective. And uh, <laughs> apologies. I'm going to, I'm going to be uh, alternating between Deming and Deming, uh, which is, I think it's the actual pronunciation just because. Lily and I had no idea what the pronunciation <laughs> were. We're just like, I, I say it like it's D-A. I said like Deming. I think it's dumbing, but it might be dumbing. Or the, uh, people who know Chinese know that like the same word can be pronounced <laughs> multiple times, multiple ways. So um, I don't. I don't think they ever go into what the words actually mean in the story, unless I totally missed that part. So I can't vouch for the actual um, the actual pronunciation. We but never saw the opinion. Um, but yeah. So yeah. Um, so. <laughs> I did some digging and I found out that The Leavers was inspired by an actual real life story. Um, I mean, the whole undocumented immigrant story is, mm-hmm. you know, vast and diverse, but it was it and was very ba- current too. and very current. It's always current. <laughs> immigration and undocumented immigration is always a current event in America because it's America. Um, but yeah, it was inspired by uh, this one specific story back in 2009. And uh, it was this um, it was this Chinese woman who was caught by ICE when she was going to Florida for a new job, uh, which is kind of mentioned uh, briefly in The Leavers because the excuse that Leon gives to Deming is that his mom went to go find work in Florida. So that little tidbit is from the actual story. Um, mm. But uh, but the Chinese the Chinese woman I think her name was uh, Xu Ping Zhang I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly probably but not but go probably for not it. but I, I'm <laughs> gonna go for it I'm gonna go for it um, but she was in solitary confinement for a year and a half and uh, because she had serious mental illness she um, had a really hard time in detention and her son who was eight or nine at the time um, like he was placed in foster care because uh you know separation so it is a story that uh so the believers is very much taking elements from that from that one specific story Mm -hmm. but as you can tell i mean as a lot of fiction are like authors are inspired by different ways different stories yeah it's like like completely different characters of course and um i do know that lisa ko it took her a great number of years to finish this book it started off as a short story and after drafts and drafts and drafts, she finally uh, made it into a novel. So it is a book that went through a lot of, uh, yeah, it went through a long journey. And I think it was, uh, I think you can see the fruits of her efforts. So what, what were your thoughts about it, Reba? What were your initial thoughts? My initial thoughts? Yeah. 
Okay, so I thought this book was going to focus more on Deming or Daniel. I'm mm-hmm. not sure I'm going to alternate between those two names. But I was really surprised by how much of the book focused on Polly. And not so much like on Polly's like current perspective. It, it would cut to flashbacks and you would like learn about how, like where she started, like which village she grew up in, and just the circumstance of like why and how she came to America. I mean, it's the reason I say it's current because immigrants and undocumented workers and they're still a part of the headlines today. And they, the way that society views immigrants is very dehumanized, right? You see them as well, these people are coming to take your jobs, leech off the system, blah, blah, blah. But there are like, there's statistics and numbers. And what you don't, see are the story behind why they're doing it. It's not just because they want to come and work. It's why do they want to come and work? And the story talks a lot about, um, and I forgot what's the term for it, but like sending money back home, right? For a lot of immigrants, especially from poor countries where like, where there are no jobs, working like six months in like the States in like, say, um, on a farm or for a cruise ship, you'll make enough money to support your like whole families for a year. And also like with Polly, like her reason for wanting to come to America, it's I like it, it was a situation that you don't really hear about that often. Cause she came to America to get an abortion. Like, like I remember mm. she wanted an abortion and she came to America and she found out and she finds out that they don't abort seven months. Fetuses. I don't think she came for an abortion. I thought that she, no, I thought she, she was. Uh, so Polly's situation, while not um, not commonly heard, is actually I think more common than you think, um, especially within China during that time when the one-child policy was still very much in effect. Like she wanted to leave for America because if she had stayed, she would have been fined like crazy if she ended up having the baby. Um, she didn't end up wanting to get an abortion until maybe at okay. least a couple months into working in the States. Because I remember she... Yeah, for a while. She just wanted... She was just hoping she would miscarriage. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for me, Polly was a big surprise. And also, like, you know, we've read books where immigrant mothers, they, like, do whatever it takes to support their kid, right? Yeah. Um but I, actually, this happened with what lies between us as well. Like, you get a mother who is not the quote-unquote perfect image of a mother. <laughs> and uh, I really liked how Polly, like, you can understand, like, where her choices came from. Like, like yeah. and, and how, mm-hmm. like, necessity and her, like, want for freedom, like, that line is very blurred. And just how unlikable she was at some, po- at some <laughs> points in the story. I'm like, dang, lady, yeah. like... You are not the greatest mother of the year, but... And, I mean, that was part of the message behind last month's book, too, What Lies Between Us, is, like, mothers get so much pressure put upon them to be perfect. And, I mean, this is, like, the entire theme of Ali Wong's latest um, comedy special, right? (laughs) About um, just talking about the first year of motherhood for her and how, like, it's not glamorous and there's just so much pressure to be, like, for mothers to be the best mom. Where I I was, like, there there was actually a part in this... um, the story where she was talking about how um, Leon, her fiance, all he had to do was take the kids out and be present. And he's like the best father already. People praise him for being a good dad. Mm-hmm. And she has mm-hmm. to do all this stuff just to be an adequate mom. Yeah. Right. 
I mean, I really like the, um, like, in the opening chapters, you kind of get a glimpse of what Deming and his mother's relationship is like, which is, like, kind of humorous. Like, they, there's a lot of, like, witty banter here and there. And, like, Mm -hmm. uh, like, it's, it's endearing to see how close they are. And I mean, th- mm-hmm. that setup is there because a whole bunch of yeah. <laughs> a whole bunch of shit happens after that. So you need to like establish yeah. like this really close bond that he has with his mother, which his adoptive parents try to erase, mm-hmm. like try to erase his uh, his bond, his close bond with his uh, birth mother and also his time spent in the Bronx and his time yeah. with like mm-hmm. with uh, his Chinese friends, like all of that experience, like they want him to kind of bury within, within himself and kind of, like, start anew. <laughs> and this, like, um, I think Lily, in our pre-discussion, called it Savior Complex, is uh, <laughs> something that, and um, I guess um, to let listeners know, Lily herself is a Chinese adoptee who um, yep. grew up with a white, white family, so she has that perspective yep. going for her. hey um, I think we can talk about, I, I want to talk about that, like, maybe later on. Maybe when, later when on. we're, like, wrapping up. Um, but I think the... One of the key like themes that I think the book sets up is just how, in the end, like how similar they both are, and I think, um, I think the levers as a title is, it's 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 about those them two like the like Deming and Polly, um, they're both levers. That's like this. That's their personality. That's their yeah. you know. That's mm-hmm. their. Because you have Polly leaving China, and then eventually she has to send Deming back to China uh, to be under the care of her father. Mm-hmm. And then you have Deming, who leaves China <laughs> at, as, as, like, I don't know how old he is, but he's, like, a kid. It's like, five or six. He's, like, five or six. And he comes, mm-hmm. and he comes back to America, and then he goes back to China as an adult. <laughs> so, like, you have these two characters who are constantly... yeah. Uh, going back and forth and they don't really have like a home home is kind of like the last place that yeah. they left yeah like the leavers to me means that they're they're people who never feel comfortable or, or set where they are and this manifests in Polly as like this ambition to travel and see the world and you know be more than what society wants her to be and it manifests in De- Deming or Daniel as like this like constant imposter syndrome <laughs> like mm-hmm. feeling he doesn't belong anywhere yeah thoughts <laughs> i'm trying i'm trying to like because we like talked about a lot of things i'm trying to see where yeah. to bounce off next to i guess we can we can uh start off with the like polly disappears yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't think we need to like to summarize. We don't have to summarize story, that. But yeah, but um, I thought so, it was. Okay, wait, go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, and so the main conflict for the story starts when, like, Polly doesn't come back from work, right? Like the first, like, I don't think this happens until like the end of the first chapter or the second chapter. It's very, it's, very, very. It's it, very quick. It takes book. a while, I think, until you get to the point where. Oh. Right, because you have um, Polly, like, Polly wants to move to Florida. Right. right? And you, the first time you hear about that, it's from Deming's perspectives, which is like, why, I don't want to leave. Why is my mom doing this? And yeah. then, like, mm-hmm. 
and then having his mom disappear and having that like kind of guilt that the last pretty much the, the last interaction with her was antagonistic mm-hmm. and feeling mm-hmm. that it was his fault. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought it was really like it was really interesting because uh when Polly disappears, like Deming immediately thinks like, oh, what if she's like a victim victim of a crime? Yeah. What if like she ends up like as one of those bodies from like CSI <laughs> or Criminal Minds? And and like right. it doesn't really occur to him that like she was arrested for being an undocumented Im- immigrant. Like that doesn't like well, it doesn't occur to anybody. I think no, mm-hmm. I think it occurs like it occurs to the to the adults, adults? like mm-hmm. Leon and Vivian. But of course, like with Deming, like he is like he lives in the Bronx. It's not it's not Chinatown. It's not flush, flushing. But there are plenty of Chinese people in his uh, in his neighborhood, and it doesn't really occur to him that you know they're not wanted, quote unquote, wanted in this country. There is a lot of mm-hmm. antagonistic uh, feelings toward undocumented immigrants and when you're that young obviously you don't even think about your parents being taken from you yeah i mean i I feel like that Mm. that whole section you can feel the tenseness of like this is what a child must feel like when someone close to them gets just disappears Mm -hmm. and just like the way that no one like leon and vivian like no one explains Mm -hmm. what happened or what possibly happened like like Vivian does her best, like taking care of Michael and uh, Deming for a little bit. Well, and then she just drops him off without telling him. And then she, like, yeah. she just drops him yeah. off. She's like foster care, and it's like, wow, that was like without any warning. No wonder this <laughs> yeah. kid had like traumatic experience. Like after that, it's um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you read the book, Jackie, you you knew what happened to his mother, but she doesn't really you show up till like way later so you, you just have his um his perspective and like yeah. like Deming really has a hard time adjusting nope like you can't blame him for yeah. not being yeah he has some like ptsd after it happens <laughs> and yeah it's interesting um because we talked about names like he so Deming's the, the interesting thing about the um the well one of the things about the book is Deming's parts like his pov is always in third person and the omnipresent narrator refers to him as Deming until a certain point where he becomes, he turns from Deming to Daniel. And that isn't when he first arrives at the Wilkinson's place. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Like he doesn't really become Daniel until after him and Angel take that trip back home. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Right. Yeah. He realizes he has nowhere else to go. Yeah, he like decides, that's home now. Yeah. He decides that De- like he needs to forget about Deming and that life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a quote that I wrote down that really sums up, uh, like, I guess, like, Daniel being lost and uh, trying to find his identity. And it, and it goes, Daniel was malleable, everyone and no one, a collector of moods, a careful observer of the right thing to say. He watched other people's reactions before deciding on his own. He could be fun or serious or whatever was most strategic, whoever you wanted him to be. So, yeah, so adult Daniel, or young adult Daniel, is kind of... He's a college dropout. He, yeah. has, a, mm-hmm. he has a gambling addiction. He has issues. He, yeah. has, he has debt. Yeah. Like, he's, like he's in a band, but it's, con- it's not like a cool band. Well, it is a cool yeah, band. Yeah, it's not he a just, healthy band. It is a cool band. He just doesn't, like, see himself as... Like, there's a, there's a 
So I, we're jumping around, but um, I think there's a quote from like Roland, his like his best friend. Everyone thinks you're cool, but you. Mm, it's been a while, <laughs> but <laughs> and I think that's yeah. that's the thing. Like when he is his best self, he is like amazing. He's an amazing guitarist. Like he has synesthesia. Like. He can see Oh, he music. sees colors? Oh, yeah, yeah, he can see music. Yeah. I forgot about that one detail. And so he's like a naturally gifted musician, but he just like... He has this huge imposter syndrome. Yeah. And like... Which is so real. Yeah, it's it's so real. <laughs> like, and yeah, I think that's... I mean, Daniel, you can see why he becomes this way because he's constantly afraid everyone he loves will leave him. Yeah, yeah there's abandonment always, issues. Yeah, there's fun. always there's always like this arm length distance between him mm. and uh, all of his friends after he became Daniel. Um, Lily, I'm mm. wondering what uh, Daniel's character like. What did you? How did you react? How? What did you see while reading the story? I mean, like, I don't remember at first. I thought he was kind of like plain. Like at first, I thought he was kind of boring. But I think that was just because of the way he was written in that point of view was still he was just kind of like a little bit of shell shocked and trying to figure things out and then um what did i i remember like recognizing some of the stuff that he went through or like everyone's like why do you act like this and i was like i know why i'm not sure if that's because i was a reader and like and i knew like all the stuff that happened beforehand or because like i related as an adoptee but there was a lot of like yeah i knew why he was the way he was i could relate to that um stuff like that but yeah i remember thinking he was kind of boring at first until um until you saw more of his like college age ish when you saw that like how the years had affected him up to that point yeah and you were adopted as a baby right so your your, yeah. your story is closer with um daniel one of daniel's best friends Angel. angels who's i guess family friends so i guess we can talk about his adoptive family for a little bit and and just, yeah. and just like the contrast between daniel and angel yeah or just the parents mm-hmm. for some like the moment that you realize that oh like the Wilkinson's friends also adopted Chinese babies. You kind of it kind of Yeah, it's like I mean it's Were they in, adopted at the same I know that the same age, but were they adopted? No, because she was adopted as an infant. Yeah, yeah. she was adopted oh, as an okay. infant. Yeah. They're, so they're around the same kind age. of like a collection. They wanted one too. Well yeah, and you know, they they explained it's because they were because they were older, um it was harder mm. for them to adopt an infant so basically only like they could only adopt older kids who were also like less remember i think um i think it was either k or peter is his dad's name yeah i forgot what exactly he said but basically like we're both unwanted in the uh, system yeah so that's yeah. how we end up together yeah yeah i mean like deming is yeah. much old i mean he's 11 mm-hmm. when he gets adopted and yeah. that is much mm-hmm. older than most uh stories about chinese american adoptees that we read in fiction mm-hmm. and was it the mom or the dad was it k or pete that wanted to return him after day one <laughs> like someone said Let's, we can take him back right i remember because yeah that was another thing that like oh my god Deming went through some shit he overheard his adoptive parents being like i don't know if this is working or it's like it's okay that's why we fostered him it's a trial we can always like try again <laughs> and like this poor child i think it was interesting that like while his birth mom never really put a lot of pressure on him, it was his adoptive parents that like wanted to, wanted to shape him in their image. Like yeah, you're going they, to school. They had like a picture mm-hmm. of like an ideal American boy, right? <laughs> and I actually have a quote, and and it says uh, he re- he recalled how she and Peter had ins- insisted on English, his new name, the right education. 
how better and more hinged on their ideas of success, their plans. Mama, Chinese, the Bronx, Deming. They had never been enough. He shivered, and for a brief horrible moment, he could see himself the way he realized they saw him, as someone who needed to be saved. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and savior complex. Savior <laughs> complex. Shall we get into that since we've mentioned it yeah. a couple times? I mean, so that passage comes from the second to last chapter, I think, or the last chapter. Um, it was after he had gone to China to find his mom, and we'll, we'll talk about that um, later on as well. <laughs> uh, but he comes back with a like he still has anxieties, but they're much less about abandonment and more just about personal worth, which is normal for I guess artists his age. Um, <laughs> He comes back with, I guess, a little bit more perspective, and he finally sees. He can see what his parents thought of him. Um, yeah, I don't want to say that like he saw his adoptive parents for what they were, but he understood more about like their intentions when they first adopted him and stuff like that. But it's also I don't. That's not to say that like he had a. I don't think he necessarily had a bad relationship with the Wilkinsons, with his adoptive parents. Yeah, like he definitely. St- did care he does care about them and he sees them as like his parental figures but yeah, yeah I think it's it's complicated i do want to mention how like like with his uh, adoptee friend uh angel she's growing up in new york city manhattan mm-hmm. where like mm-hmm. you know I, I don't want to say colorblind but like it is you see way more diversity, not just in color, but like also in sexuality and 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 religion. So like she's growing up in a place where, you know, her skin, her race isn't that much of a big deal. I, well, I, I she don't also wanna... has like three adoptee friends, two named Lily. Yeah, well, that, that was a funny <laughs> Okay, there's <laughs> something in the water with ad- Chinese adoptees. We're all named Lily, I swear to God. <laughs> Lily or Jade. <laughs> Um, yeah, but but like with with Daniel, he's growing up in uh, like white suburbia. He is like w- the only Asian kid, I think. Yeah, like I don't mm-hmm. remember if there was another Asian kid like that that comes to his school. But I do remember him saying how like in the city he was just another kid. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as he moves into this new town, he is like like everyone kind of stares at him from the corner <laughs> of their eye, and it's like oh, this is what it feels like to not be part of the majority. <laughs> I mean, we see that with yeah. his parents. Because his parents obviously have something has something against the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, when he when he moves back to Manhattan, they, they think he's throwing his life away. How fucked up was that uh, Chinese restaurant scene? <laughs> 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 We alluded on this on the last episode, but that was like, that was, I thought it was funny because I've seen this interaction before. Um, I, is it, I, I felt bad for both sides. Like I got why it was funny, but I was also kind of annoyed that like, not going to lie, these folks don't know any better. So like, they're going <laughs> to go for like the first thing that they saw. So like, I felt bad for them more than as laughing at them if that makes sense yeah i mean <laughs> i wasn't i was laughing because i've i've been through like i've been taken to places before where you know my host was very like this is new authentic chinese food you're gonna love it and i'm like i i love this orange chicken it's great <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, but this, yeah, this was in the book the first time that the Wilkinsons take um, Daniel at this point to go, or he's still Deming, I think. Yeah, he's still, still Deming at this identifies point. Identifies a Deming to meet their, I guess, their good friends who are also professors who teach at, in New York, um, and their daughter, who's his age, Angel. Mm. And Angel was adopted as, um, and there's this, this really almost sad exchange when um, Deming introduces himself to Angel in Chinese. Yeah, and she's like, <laughs> I don't speak Chinese. It was it was a very poignant moment. <laughs> I was like, oh man, like, like yeah. it, it's funny because I I feel like with like you can't uh, not every adoptee has like the same experience obviously but it was just like very two different like <laughs> opposite sides of the adoptee experience i think <laughs> that they just like collided in that one moment and i was like wow <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and angel's family also has good intentions too and you just i don't know when someone says like oh we think it's great to make sure that angel stays in touch with her roots and you're taking her to like chinatown chinese food <laughs> It's like how Lily says. It's it's like you kind of feel bad for both sides because they're both kind of one side's woefully misinformed, the other side's gonna get like this misinformed idea of their 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 quote unquote heritage. I mean, it's what you got. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like a hidden story in here is Angel's story. Um, like she's she is a secondary character, but you learn through their interactions later on that she also grew up to be a problem child, right? She fights with her mom all the time. She ended up becoming a, what major was she? Like a history major or something? She ended up like not following oh, yeah. her parents' um, uh, plan for her as well. Yeah. Right. I, I think with yeah. like both families though, like they do have good intentions, but they also like put on this, like, I don't want to say show, but it's just like, oh, like look at how much we're providing for you. Look at how like how many opportunities are open for you because of like because of the privilege that we wield, because of the money that we make. And you know, like I feel like that puts like an additional pressure on their children, you know? It's like, oh, like yeah. if I if I don't meet their expectations, then like it makes me look ungrateful, not just to Adopties them. Adoptees are always expected to be grateful. That's one thing I've heard through like talks and other books and like my own experiences. We're always expected to be grateful. Yeah, and that goes back to the the very last um, thing the book says about Daniel's parents, which is, yeah, like they they think they saved him, and that's why he should be grateful. Mm. Right, he, he re- and like he is, but like <laughs> he shouldn't be reminded that he should be or that he needs to be you know yeah yeah i mean he he eventually goes um goes to china to find his find his mom because because his friend michael finds him on facebook finds him on facebook oh <laughs> surprise okay facebook. i love michael by the way michael <laughs> is probably there. he was he was a good kid i loved him i i feel like michael like this book is called the levers but michael can be categorized as a stare like he, <laughs> he like stayed. he stayed he was a freaking anchor in this book <laughs> yeah he was so upset when yeah we should get into michael and the the whole trip to china thing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so michael finds daniel on facebook and he's not excited that he got found by michael but he's also curious well, yeah, because right. like Michael's like I like I want to talk to you about like your mom. Yeah, 
And of course, like he's going to come and at least talk to Michael. And this is when he like kind of finds out what happened to his mom. Like, you know, yeah, piece by piece. So he, he goes to Michael's place with his mom, Vivian, who they used to live together in the Bronx. And through that, he's able to trace. uh, He's given the phone number to his uncle Leon, who is his mom's ex-fiance. And eventually decides to just go. Yeah, like, why yeah. not? I mean, he like he had like a gambling debt, and <laughs> he was just like, well, there's really nothing for me here. And it was at that point where Angel had also cut off uh, yeah. ties with him after he him borrowing money from her and yeah. you know blowing all of her money away. <laughs> This is it okay. was a lot of money. It wasn't like a hundred bucks. It was, it was ten, he blew a lot of angels. Yeah, it money. was ten thousand dollars. The way that um both Daniel Dumming and Polly handle money, like I thought that was really interesting. Like they both had debts, right? They both had to deal with debt, they both had to deal with scrounging and doing the best they can. And they both had to sacrifice like he had to he had to sacrifice his friendship with Angel to stay afloat where like Whereas Polly needed to sacrifice her freedom to raise Deming. And just the way that the, the two sides, like one coming from survival, one coming from a place of like privilege, both yeah. had like similar issues with like never having enough money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And even with all the privileges of being adopted by white parents, he still ended up in the same place. I just saw it was more as like, Deming's nihilism of just like I've got nothing left except money so I might as well blow that too. I think it was also because in the beginning he was really good at gambling and it was like oh the one thing that like I feel like I can be extremely good at and like make me money. Everyone's always good at gambling. That's not true. The same thing <laughs> Leon, Leon thought the same thing when they went to Atlantic City and he lost all her money. Lesson of the story gambling is bad. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as free money. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Daniel goes back to China after he finds, uh, f- like, finds out Leon's uh, whereabouts and how like he could probably reconnect with his mother. And this is after he has, he tells his adoptive mother that he's been talking to because he at this point he's talked to Polly twice over the phone. Yeah, so they, they reconnected. It's really weird because I feel like we hear stories about adoptees going back to the motherland to kind of uh, reconnect with their roots. But in uh, Daniel's case, it's a very different uh, circumstance, yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like. Well, I mean, Daniel was also a I mean, he was older child in, adoptee. So. He, he was an older child adoptee, but he was also raised in China for his formative uh, mm-hmm like years as a as a child so he does have memories of china he Mm -hmm. he does have ties to it but but the thing is like when he goes back to china like even though he's speaking in chinese people are like oh like your chinese isn't that great i mean a big part of that is that he doesn't fit in china too Um, although he feels more at peace there and i mean i i have similar experiences going by when i when i go back to taiwan i speak in the mandarin to get by i don't need a translator i don't need like i can fit in and um survive as long as i want but everyone always hear the accent in my in my chinese um 
there is a very Asian American part of this that's, you know, not belonging really anywhere. Like you're 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 going to be in between in the states and also in the mother country because you've mm-hmm. changed. Like the moment you leave the home country, you start becoming something else. The moment he started living with the Wilkinsons, he started becoming another person. Right, he started becoming Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the same thing with Polly. The moment she arrives in New York, she starts become, she goes from Palon to Polly. She starts and she starts seeing Polly as like a different person, like an aspirational version of herself. That's free to do whatever. Right. And then when she goes back to Fuzhou, she becomes a different version of Polly. No, she changes her last name from Polly Guo to... Yeah, can we just quick recap on what she's doing in China? So she is the director of an English school, right? And she's become wealthy. She married a... She's married to a... Is she married? I thought she was, like, engaged. She's married. They got married. Oh, they got married. Okay. All I remember is she didn't tell him anything. Yeah, well, because to become an English teacher, she lied and said, oh, I worked in the States as a teacher or as a a student. Uh, Right. So she basically... She's still living not as her. She's still living as someone else. She's living as like a mm-hmm. like a different version of herself, like mm-hmm. a, a better version that she's kind mm-hmm. of concocted in her mind. So fake it till you make it, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but before she, uh, you know, you know, fakes fakes it till she makes it. Like she's in this detention camp for yeah. how many years? Like it's fourteen months. Fourteen months. Mm-hmm. Okay, and yeah. Like the thing is, like I didn't expect that. Like I expected the like I expected like a maybe a chapter of her being at a detention camp mm-hmm. and then just kind of quickly moving on to like her being deported and her trying to like reconnect mm. back with uh Deming. But mm. really like those chapters uh about like the detention camp and like the the uh the facilities there and, and how like she had no resources and when when it was her quote-unquote trial it wasn't a trial and yeah and like her like i don't think she had a lawyer because with uh these kind of proceeding proceedings it's not under the judicial branch so you're not uh entitled to a lawyer to represent you so like that was that was really hard to read and and it was it was just um I mean, it goes back to what we were saying about how the way that people view immigrants in this country is very much as, not as people, but as statistics and as criminals, really, a lot of Mm -hmm. time. And the cold way that they're treated, even though they are mothers and sisters, people with families, um, is honestly echoed in the latest headlines. Like you, 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 You see stories about, you know, children that were separated from their families at the border um, while their parents are being detained, you hear stories about ICE making up evidence to try to deport people. Yeah. Even, even like the, Mm -hmm. the place that Polly worked at in, in the Bronx was like at a nail salon and you know, who could forget that New York times like feature about uh, um, undocumented immigrants working in terrible conditions at nail salons and like how so many of them got deported because of a raid and, like like we said like this kind of story is not like it's never going away it's it's america like 
we we have always been a country of immigrants and uh, problems like this will always exist. But it's kind of horrifying how um, this book is based on a 2009 article, right? Yeah. This book Mm -hmm. came out last year and we are reading it a year after it came out and it is still shocking it is still relevant i mean isn't that the Mm -hmm. reason why books like this exist is to give like media arts is all about telling stories or telling narratives and um the kind of art that we (laughs) you know cover in this book club and you know through our work in the community is all about representative media and part of that is putting a face putting a story behind things that people don't think about you know like this is the personal story of one of those cases and yeah you have to realize that this isn't unique to just Polly and daniel this is like this happens to every single person that was that has been either detained or deported or separated this happens to each and every one of them and it and it is horrifying Mm -hmm. like it's horrifying enough to like face deportation but like to be mm-hmm. trapped in a place where like yeah like you're you're in squalor pretty much like that that is terrible and like it's really sad that like not much has changed in yeah. in in the number of years and um I mean even like another parallel between Polly and Daniel is that they both had to become someone else in order to survive right they mm-hmm. became Daniel to accept this new life and Polly Guo became Polly the Polly Lin the the English teacher to move on. Speaking of mm-hmm. moving on, like she like didn't look back after she uh landed in China. Like she didn't try to reconnect with Daniel, like at least according to my memory. It's been it's been a while, but yeah, she she really think, like made a clean break after she she landed. Took the, I think she because I just read this chapter. Like she took the job teaching English to make money to go back to New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, but I I do remember like her and Leon and Vivian all all saying at some point that you were adopted by like a wealthy like wealthy pair of like white professors. Mm-hmm. Like they could provide so much. So it just felt like you were already set up for happiness. So why would I intrude? Yeah, they thought Daniel was living the life. I think that was... And Vivian was so ashamed of what she'd done that she didn't want to find him again. Yeah. I mean, I think that was Leon and Vivian's. Like, that's, that's, I don't think that's what they thought. That's what they wanted to believe. Yeah. yeah. And same with Polly. Um, I think once... I think part of what made Polly, like, give up is meeting Leon again and hearing that Damon was adopted. Cause all of mm-hmm. a sudden it became like her, her dream of coming back and reuniting became out of reach. Yeah. Yeah. She probably felt hella replaced. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, she already had a bond with her child. I mean, <laughs> I mean, she, she raised was, her mm-hmm. kid for, for like yeah. a long, like for a long time. I mean, she was super mad that yeah. he, he, his name was changed. Like, <laughs> Yeah, how did you feel about that? By the way, I, like we we didn't we talked about it earlier, but I don't think you uh, said anything specific about it, Lily. Like, how did you feel when uh, the Wilkinsons changed uh, his name from Deming to Daniel? Well, now that we've talked about it, 
and we've gone more into like the Wilkinsons, like whatever their their well intentions, their misinformed well intentions. Now I'm not a hundred percent like as behind it because I get at first I get what they were trying to do is like you are our son now and this is what that's gonna mean. Um, yeah, this but is yeah, they my did. swamp. It's total identity identity erasure and stuff like that. Um, like obviously. Uh, this is something that I've talked about or I've thought about as a transracial adoptee is like, you look at my name, Lily Rugo, and um, people don't know or won't immediately assume I'm Asian based on my last name. Some people think I'm Filipina if they see me and they don't, they can't figure out how my last name fits. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I was adopted as a baby, so it made more sense for my parents to kind of uh rename me i guess but then my chinese first name is one of my middle names like my legal middle name so like it's still there and when i go to like chinese classes i use it um yeah so i it makes more sense i guess depending on what age they are i there was a little bit about like we're renaming you daniel because like it's kind of like deming but we can't pronounce your chinese one so here you go (laughs) um I, th- uh, I didn't even think yeah. about the pronunciation part. Like, yeah, that like probably Like, if we won. can't pronounce, pronounce Deming, I, I can imagine his, like, well-to-do <laughs> suburbanite parents mm, were like, oh. It w- would have been okay if Lisa had written it in pinging so we can, like, at least know the intonations. That's true. Uh-huh. Or at least we would have seen the characters once. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I know, like, Lily wrote this blog post where she uh, wrote about her thoughts uh, with the levers and also little fires everywhere and... Uh, uh, two hummingbirds. I forgot the title. The Lisa C book. T. Yeah, T. Girl of Hummingbird Lane. Yes. Um, yeah. And like I, I, I read Little Fires Everywhere, so I can actually talk about that. But in Little Fires Everywhere, there is a there is a Chinese baby who is about to be adopted uh, into a white family, and they do change her name as well. Like, how did you? Yeah. Like, do you have a different feeling from for that compared to uh, Deming being renamed Daniel? Because they're two totally opposite uh, scenarios, I, I I think. Yeah, they're two totally different scenarios because the one in Celeste Ng's novel in Little Fires Everywhere is, it's again, an impoverished Chinese immigrant mother can't take care of her baby and she's struggling uh, with postpartum depression. So she gives up her baby thinking it's the only best thing she can do. And I think in that book, the adoptive parents don't know the baby has a name. I don't think she was left with a name. Okay. So I, that I, that one made a little bit more sense. And then T girl hummingbird Lisa C book was another situation where the baby didn't have a name. So she was renamed to like Haley something, something like Haley standard white last name. So Deming is the only one where it's like clear erasure. And the others are just like, you're our baby now, so we're going to rename you. Or going to name Got you. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, so two completely different uh, scenarios when it comes to renaming and uh, re-identifying. Yeah, I mean, I feel yeah. like as educated people, the Wilkinson sh- should have been more aware, I feel like. But I think they were also trying to like... <clears throat> Because in in their eyes, they did save Daniel from a life of poverty and crime from the city, right? They they assumed that his mother had left him, had abandoned mm-hmm. him, yeah, right. And I mean, everything they do is well meaning, but in that like really 
gentrifying privileged way of like this is the right way this is a better way like and yeah i guess it, it is kind of that, that white savior thing where you know providing charity is seen as heroic and yeah yeah well hang on i had another thought yeah the other thing i've seen a lot about this kind of stuff is that like this is yeah kind of going along with the white savior thing is just like by uh, us as the adoptive parents giving you a new name and giving you our last family name that is how we're like that's so you never doubt that you're our child you know like that's how they want to make sure that you know that like you shouldn't have to question if you belong with us because we are giving you our family name and we're giving you we're naming you again type thing you know yeah that's how i've seen some parents explain it so again like well-intentioned and but still identity erasure like for the longest time i didn't know i had a chinese last name i just thought i had a first name and then i found out i had a first and last name lord knows who named me but i have one (laughs) and i think there was a scene before daniel goes back to china where his uh his dad peter was telling him all about like the family history and how, like, his great-grandpappy Wilkinson, like, <laughs> something about ox bone or ox something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then in his head, in, in Daniel's head, he was thinking, this is great and all. Like, but looking at, like, this portrait and realizing that his great-grandfather would have never accepted him as part of the family back then. Race's grandpa. Yeah. I, yeah. I do. I, since we did mention, um, like, briefly about Polly kind of not being the greatest mother in the world um <laughs> like she like when the the reason why she sends deming back to china is because she can't take care of him right she can't do her full-time seamstress job while like taking care of an infant and there is a moment where she try like when she tries to abandon him there's the also yes i mean that's also comes right after her trying to bring him to work and make making it work. yes yes right like I said, necessity and freedom is like it's all blurred together. Like some people might see it as selfish. It's like, oh, how can you like mm-hmm. leave your child like that? Even though eventually she does the right thing of like of like going back. Going back. I don't know if, if you can even say that that is the right thing because uh, people's opinions can differ. But she like it's not even. Not it's not even like oh I can't take care of him so I want to leave him, but like with Polly it was just like he is tying me down I can't go mm-hmm. anywhere I please like like she like her freedom is limited by Deming and the thing is like she can have her freedom by uh, leaving him to be found and to be eventually adopted but that freedom comes with the price and she doesn't want to pay that price so eventually she goes back and uh uh takes deming but um, was he left in like a public yeah she was well traffic spot he was left i thought she just left him by a bench yeah off, she, on, along the river i think yeah yeah she like left him by like a city bench but i think at the same time her feeling trapped in lack of freedom didn't come until later when deming was growing up i think during that time it was her main um conflict was the fact that with a taking like he couldn't take care of an infant 
and also work. And if she can't work, then she can't pay off her debt. And if she can't pay off her debt, then she gets murdered by loan sharks. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's complicated. Yeah. Like, Polly is a very complex character. And, you know, at times yeah. she is really unlikable. But <laughs> I mean, we keep saying unlikable, but I, I think... I'm, She's when so I pathetic, don't know but you don't like have that. to like her. Yeah, I mean, like, I found her unlikable. <laughs> let, let me say that. Like, that is my <laughs> personal take on her. And, and like, that was fine. Like, I thought she was a great character in the book. And, you know, people are complex and people have their flaws. And that doesn't mean that they're terrible people. I just did not like her. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I like the parts where she's narrating how Demi was growing up and kind of seeing him as... Like, just realizing that he's kind of a dick as a child. <laughs> like, he would eat the biggest piece of candy. He would, like, boss people around. He'd be lazy and not try in school. And her, like, questioning, like, what part of me is rubbing off on him? Or, like, all the, all the, all the worst parts of me is rubbing off on him. Or he, he inherited all this, like, stuff from me. Mm. Um, yeah, but, like, I, I wanted to bring up that, like city bench scene because i I, like i think Mm -hmm. it like really uh really showed her character because like when she's turning away from him she says run Mm -hmm. before i change my mind and Mm -hmm. you see like how like how much is like what is going through her mind and just like all of the different choices and all the different consequences yeah like another (laughs) so a lot of the story to me was also like setting up how a big reason why polly left for the United States and not even left to go to the big city was because she did not want to follow what the plan was. Like she knew what was expected of her. She was to get married, have kids, take care of the house while her husband lived in the village. Uh, but mm-hmm. she wanted to go to the factory to be, to have more agency in her life and to, you know, send like make more money to, to send home, like making the money to send home was the reason she gave her father, but she wanted the freedom. Mm-hmm. The reason she wanted to go to the States is because she knew if she had the baby, like her, the baby's father would claim it. She would have to marry him and have to become the wife and follow that path. So she left. Yeah. Um, same thing with Daniel. Daniel didn't want to be who his, parent, his adoptive parents wanted him to be. So he left. The same reason, part of the same reason why he left China after he re- reunites with his, his mother, because his mother was already planning for him to take over the English school. Yeah. And that was like just very uncomfortable for him. Yeah. I don't know. That was my main issue though. Cause like, like we were said about how like she personally didn't like Polly much. I like, I, I was sympathetic to Polly and all of her like intentions and her backstory. My main issue with her is that she kept leaving <laughs> even at the end in like the grand epilogue. When you found out like the Ming is doing kind of okay. You found out that his mom like up and fucking left again. <laughs> Well, the book is called The Leavers for a reason. <laughs> I know. I, like, this book is, is split between uh, Daniel and uh, Polly, but honestly, I think Polly steals the show in this in this book. Um, yeah. I think the word leavers definitely applies to her the most. Mm-hmm. Are there any, is there anything else? I feel like we covered <laughs> so much. I mean, going back to just how... No one in this book is a model minority. And I think that's kind of refreshing. It is really refreshing. Yeah. So last thoughts. Any last thoughts? Uh, let's start with Lily. I mean, I enjoyed The Leavers. Uh, there was... I'm going to be um, that writer douche for a second and quote myself. 
but there was something I wrote in my blog post that kind of summed up how I feel about it. Let me find it. It was, I don't know what I was looking for in it, but I found something to hold on to. That's just generally how I feel about this book. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way because um, I went in expecting one type of story and came out with a entirely different type of story. And you, you do end up like rooting for them to at least find some measure of peace because these the characters in this book get like screwed by life hard. Yeah, you would think that this was a very depressing book. And and to some degree, it, it does get pretty depressing. But there's a lot of like dark humor to it that I really appreciated. And also just... It this book really subverted all of my expectations. I Yeah. Yeah, so like on that merit alone, I like really enjoyed this book because after I don't want to brag, but I read a lot of books. <laughs> like I read a lot of books and it is very very difficult for me to ac- actually be surprised uh by like narrative choices, I guess, like yeah. storytelling choices and um, I I was consistently surprised throughout this book, so um, I enjoyed I enjoyed it, and I think I've said all of my thoughts in our discussion, so I don't <laughs> yeah. have anything more to add. Um, so that'll do it for our discussion of the Levers by Lisa Ko, our May uh, Books and Boba Book Club pick. Uh, thank you, Lily, for sitting in with us and discussing. Um, the book. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We immediately thought of you. <laughs> <laughs> Always happy to be on the podcast. Um, Rima, what are we reading for June 2018? For June 2018, we are reading Not Your Sidekick by C.B. Lee. Yeah. We're going back to genre fiction. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> um, as always, if you want to sound off on anything we discussed during this episode or about book news in Asian America in general, Please join our Goodreads group. You can talk to us on the forums and share your thoughts as well. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. And keep reading. Bye. This episode of Books and Boba was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rira Yu and produced and edited by Marvin Yue. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a podcast collective featuring Asian American hosted podcasts. If you enjoy Books and Boba, please check out one of our other great programs, such as Saturday School. Hosted by film journalists and scholars Ada Sang and Brian Hu, Saturday School is an Asian American history podcast featuring films and media from the Asian American canon. You can find Saturday School and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to our website at www.podcastpotluck.com. 